Hello, and welcome to INS's Talking in Vain. This is part three of our three-part series titled Demystifying Gout. Today's episode is being brought to you by an educational grant from Horizon Pharma and is titled Demystifying Gout, Complications and Management of Chronic Gout. I'm Dawn Barrett, the Infusion Nurse Educator for the INS. I would like to introduce our guest for this series, Vicki Sales. Vicki is the Clinical Nurse Manager for the Department of Rheumatic and Immunologic Diseases at Cleveland Clinic Foundation in Cleveland, Ohio. She is board certified in ambulatory nursing, rheumatology nursing, and infusion nursing. Vicki currently serves as treasurer of the Rheumatology Nurse Society. She has presented at various conferences in the United States, speaking on subjects such as infusion nursing, infusion medications, biologic drugs, and biosimilar drugs. Vicki, we are delighted to have you as our guest, and thank you for coming back for this final discussion on gout today. So, Vicki, again, here we are uh, talking, and this is going to be our final podcast on demystifying gout, and we, again, are so happy that you're here with us today. Let's review for our listeners a bit of what we covered about gout in our last podcast. Sure. Thank you for having me back, Dawn. In our last session, we talked about diagnosing and managing gout. We discussed the importance of joint fluid aspiration to diagnose the disease and a number of medications that can be used to treat gout. We finished with a continuation of the case study presented in our first session. So in this session, we're going to talk about the complications of gout and the management of chronic gout, and we'll also conclude with our case study. Okay. All right. Well, let's dig right in. Tell us about some of the complications of gout. Okay. There are many complications associated with gout, um, especially chronic gout. It can lead to to irreversible joint damage, Mm. joint deformities, loss of mobility and range of motion, bone loss, TOFI, which are the lumps or deposits that form underneath the skin that we talked about, mm-hmm. um, can lead to kidney stones, um, and eventually chronic kidney z- disease and kidney failure. This sounds awful. I mean, this, I mean it, 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 it really is, you know, if, if left untreated, this gets very, very serious. In addition to having this relentless pain, now we've got these other body functions or systems that are impacted. So... Let's That's why it's so important to be compliant with medications. Oh, wow. I, I would say so. And treatments and diets and all different. Yeah, it really needs to stay on top of it because um, there there are some pretty significant problems, if not. So I know we talked about this in an earlier podcast, but I want you to tell us more about TOFI. That's, that's a word that we don't run into normally unless, we're working in this field. So can you tell us some more about it and tell us, you know, what it means for the patient? Sure. Um, TOFI are chalky lumps or deposits that form underneath the skin. When they form, they can destroy bone and cartilage, which which leads to joint damage and deformity. Um, They can also swell enough during a gout attack that they force their way through the skin and may become infected. Mm. This can lead to serious complications, as you can imagine, uh, such as joint infections and even septic shock. Oof. Yeah, it's, it, it can be very debilitating. 
Um, so uric acid-lowering drugs may reduce the size of the, those tophi over time. If the tophi are causing mechanical problems, um, you know, such as not being able to move your joints as well as you should, a surgeon may recommend removing the tophi. This can assist in reducing joint damage, but the tophi can grow back. Mm. Surger surgery to remove the tophi may be recommended when they are so severe they are causing individuals problems to where they cannot perform their acti activities of daily living or when they erode through the skin and become infected. Okay. All right. So totally unpleasant there. Um, and I'm glad that there's treatment. Um, I'm sure that no one really wants to get to the point where they have to do surgery. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm glad that that's available, of course. So you mentioned that there can be complications that involve the kidneys. So tell us more about that. Okay, well, well gout normally affects the joints, as we've been talking about. Those spiky uric acid crystals can also form in the kidney or other parts of the urinary system. Kidney stones made of uric acid occur in approximately 15% of those living with gout. While urate-lowering medications generally work well, in some people these medications can increase the risk of kidney stones. It's a double-edged sword. Yeah. Also, also, our kidneys generally filter waste, waste, including uric acid, from the body. When crystals are present, this function may be hindered. This means that those with chronic kidney disease are more at risk for gout. While gout cannot kill a person directly, the serious health problems associated with it absolutely could. Okay, okay. So with that, um, let's go on and talk about living with chronic gout. And for persons with chronic gout, what are the most important things in managing that condition? So the most critical part of the care of a gout patient is keeping uric acid levels below that 6 milligrams per deciliter. In doing that, um, future attacks can be either minimized or prevented totally. A person will most likely need to be prescribed long-term medications as maintenance therapy to keep those uric acid levels low. While these medications work well, they do have side effects, which we have talked about um, in both earlier, sessions, uh, mm -hmm. earlier podcast sessions. In those who have multiple episodes of gout attacks per year who have already developed TOFI, uric acid-lowering medications are indicated. These drugs will reduce the incidence of attacks, reduce the, that TOFI formation, and decrease the risk of permanent joint damage. Is there anything else a patient can do? Sure. Many patients find that modifying their lifestyle with dietary changes, decreased alcohol consumption, smoking cessation, and weight loss may also be beneficial um, to help them prevent these gout attacks. Okay. All right. Very good. So I know we're going to conclude our case study today, as you mentioned. Uh, we're going to come back and visit Mike, see how he's doing. Um, he was, when we last talked about Mike, he was diagnosed with gout. He was prescribed L-Purinol and the indomethacin, and his uh, prednisone dose was being tapered down. So tell us what happened next with Mike. Okay, so Mike reported back to the physician's office about four weeks later. He was having more pain than, he, than when he came in the first time. His elbows were swollen and the tophi in his hands were worse. The physician decided to bypass any other treatments and start him on the IV infusion drug Cristexa. 
Currently, Crestexa is the only intravenous infusion available for the treatment of uncontrolled gout, so that's why they decided on that treatment. Okay, very good. So tell us how this medication is administered. Okay, Crestexa is given via intravenous infusion every two weeks. Mike was warned that he had to be committed to come to have his infusion every other week and planned to spend about three to four hours for each treatment. That's a big-time commitment. It is. And the duration of the treatment was not known, you know, for how long he would need to have these treatments every two weeks, but for some patients, they have to remain on the drug for six months or longer. So Mike, Mike agreed because he was in so much pain and he was just miserable, so, so he decided to try the, the treatment. Right. So, you know, coming into an infusion area every two weeks and then spending up to four hours for the treatment. You said there were some labs that needed to be drawn each time prior to the infusion. Um, so, level. Yeah, so it, it really is a, a commitment of time, but um, he he feels like he needs to move forward with this treatment. So how did things go for Mike after he started these infusions? Well, after his first few treatments, Mike noticed he was having more flares than he normally experienced. He wanted to stop this drug. Mm -hmm. um, we brought his physician back to the infusion room to talk to him, and he, the physician informed him that this was normal and a sign that the crystals in his joints were beginning to dissolve. He, he also told him this should subside after a few more treatments. Um, Mike was restarted on prednisone to control the pain while the Crestexa took effect. Okay, okay. So it sounds like um, it's really important to have that patient education piece and that it was actually pretty significant in Mike's case as well. Exactly. So, so the need for effective gout patient education is powerfully supported by, by the literature and medication adherence is acknowledged as a key goal in improving the patient's health outcomes. Education surrounding medication adherence and lifestyle changes um, have both proven effective, and they're both key goals in reducing comorbidities related to gout non-adherence. Mm. Um, also, optimal education for patients with gout requires a multifaceted approach um, aimed at identifying patient needs and identifying those gaps to create targeted individualized education. Mm. Most importantly, patients need to learn about the genetic and metabolic causes of gout, the risk of progressive joint damage um, and other damage to your body um, if they do not continue treatment, and they need to be educated um, that they're to keep their serum urate levels below 6 milligrams per deciliter through dietary ma management. And they also need to know the impact um, of the known comorbidities on their bodies if they do not comply with treatment. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so they really have to pretty much not only partner in their care, but they, they own their their care and their ability to kind of walk through that situation. With Mike, I think he, it sounds like it was good for him to hear that the infusion that he was receiving, even though it was causing more flares or more pain at that point, that that was almost intentional, that that means, hey, it's working. So um, that gave him the ability to, to make a decision to go on. So what happened next with Mike? So I met with Mike um, after he had been on Crispexa for about four months. He was remarkably better. His TOFI had shrunk, and his pain was 
virtually non-existent. Mm. He was off. He was off prednisone, and his uric, uric acid level was 4.2, which is well within the range we wanted to be. He was very, very excited and said he felt better than he had in a very long time. Okay. Wow. So his uric acid level went into a normal range. Mm-hmm. Am I right? You are, and, and his TOFI was significantly less than it had been when he first came in. So so then um, then he, what would happen next? Like he would stop having the intravenous infusions, right? And Eventually. Then I think they would probably keep him on it for a while just to get his uric acid even lower. Um, most of the time it goes down to like 0.4 before wow. we discontinue treatment. Wow. Okay. So we can move down so all the way. Yeah. in that range. He okay. could still have an attack, but the Christexa is keeping it at bay. Okay. Wow. Well, this is a great story. It started out with Mike um, in, a, in a really tough situation, lots and lots of pain. He was having trouble being diagnosed, came into uh, a clinic that said, hey, let's, let's really uh, look at this for gout. Um, and then he went through that, that kind of pathway of treatment um, with other treatments and still needed to um, go move to a place where he needed an infusion. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and is doing better. Okay, very good, very good. Do you have anything else to add for us today about Mike or anything else that would help us demystify gout before we sign off? Well, well, with Mike, um, it has been several several months. Um, he is actually off the Crispex at this point and has not had a flare. His uric acid remains low. Um, we monitor him between four and six weeks. Um, a lot of times it's just through a phone call. I'll just give him a call and see how he's doing. And if he hasn't flared, then, then we kind of let it go. We do the uric acid level every three months at this point. Okay. And he's just he's just doing so well. I'm, I'm so glad for him. Okay. And he is motivated to continue coming in and having that test uh, to make sure that things are good. I, I think I think he is because he was in so much pain when he started. He he does not want to go back there. Okay, all right, very good. Well, thank you so much, Vicky, for being our guest on INS is Talking in Vain. We appreciate so much your expertise and the opportunity to discuss management for this disease process. And you have definitely helped us demystify gout. Thank you, Don. Thank you. Okay, this concludes this session of Talking in Vain. Thank you for listening.